0: Wherever you're listening from, please join us in acknowledging that so-called Australia always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Sovereignty was never ceded and this podcast was made on stolen Gadigal land. This is your brain I'm Drugs. Trying
1: to cover it up just like they are lying about the drugs. Parents who use drugs have children who use drugs.
0: MDMA, cocaine and GHB. Drugs are menacing our society
2: family that gets high together gets by together drugs are for idiots
1: and i'm never going to be that person if everyone took acid on this planet there would be no war just stop taking the pills i'm sure that other people might have done it and may not want to say it
3: welcome back to the sesh lighting up the conversation on drugs your fave harm reduction podcast coming to you from the dance new south wales team um, which is a program of new south wales users and aids association I'm Gina Bell, I'm your host, and I'm the Danceways New South Wales program lead, and sadly today I am joining you without my co-host Adam, who you would have heard in our last episode, um, which was a very long time ago, which we are very sorry about and hope to be more frequent in future, Um, but yeah, who has since left the program and moved interstate. Love you, Adam, if you're listening. but look, we're so happy that we're back. It's been a big few months since our last episode, um, with a lot happening for the team, including obviously, um, staff leaving. Um, I had quite a few months off for my studies, and we've had the up and down of lockdown, COVID, pivoting our ability to reach our community in different ways. Um, and now things are opening up again, and us planning to join. Um, yeah, go to heaps and heaps of festivals over the summer, um, and equip our volunteer team and recruit new volunteers. Plug for volunteer recruitment. If you would like to join us and you live in New South Wales or you travel to New South Wales, please go to our website or our social media for how to apply to volunteer with us. We would love to have you. Um, but yeah, we're also back with a podcast episode. Um, And today I'll be sharing with you an excellent conversation, um, a recording from a live stream that we had on the DanceWise Facebook last month. Uh, The conversation was titled Disrupted Drugs, Interrupted Drug Supply and Drug Alerts and Harm Reduction. So yeah, this was a conversation really digging into the ways in which COVID has had huge implications on the drug supply with more adulterants and contaminants being reported. Um, There's obviously also been different environments and different ways in which people are using drugs. Um, Yeah, COVID just like it's done for every part of our life, um, really messed things up a bit there even more so. Um, Yeah, so anyway, we jump into that whole discussion, But specifically, we talk with an epidemiologist from New South Wales Health about our collaboration that we have with New South Wales Health around releasing drug alerts with information being shared through alerts that we publish on our social media um, and our website. So make sure you follow us in those places so that you can get access to this. Um, But yeah, it's a fantastic initiative where we're able to share with you um, some accurate information about drugs that are circulating out there um, as and when we do get that information to us so we jump into how that's done why we're doing that etc but we also have a senior research fellow from the National Drug and Alcohol Research Center as well as a peer one of our very own team leaders sitting on the panel Um, and it's a really excellent and info-packed conversation Um, we just yeah, feel really grateful to be getting this level of knowledge and expertise um, from multiple angles. And all of this is moderated amazingly by my colleague and Dancewise New South Wales coordinator, Erica Franklin, who, um, yeah, always does a fantastic job in getting into the nitty-gritty details of drug policy i know that she's got a whole heap of her own knowledge on this area as well and is super super passionate about um, drug policy and bringing safety to our community through credible and accurate information so would really encourage you to listen to the whole thing and um yeah i'm just gonna we're just gonna jump straight in i'm not gonna mess around All right, enjoy. I'll see you on the other side.
2: Tonight we'll be talking about the impact COVID has had on drug supply, drug alerts, and how to keep you safe in our current disrupted drug market. Have tonight, Amy Peacock, who is a senior research fellow at the National Drug and Alcohol Research Center. She's involved in the ADAPT study, which is exploring the short and long-term impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on the experiences of Australians who use illicit drugs. She's also um, a project lead on the Drug Trends Project, which um, intends to identify the emerging trends of local and national um, concerns and changes in the illicit drug market. So she'll be talking to us about how COVID-19 has impacted illicit drugs in Australia. And we also have Robbie. Robbie Old is a manager and a senior epidemiologist um, within the center of alcohol and other drugs at the New South Wales Ministry of Health. Robbie leads a team focused on acute toxicity surveillance, public health response and epidemiology. And he's gonna be giving us some some information about what Dancewise gets our information for drug alerts. So tonight we'll be talking about the impact of COVID on drugs, um, drug supply, lockdowns and harm reduction, which is a huge topic. And we'll be focusing on providing you information about um, where are drug alerts and some practical information about how to look after yourself in this unprecedented world um, of disrupted drugs. So please submit your qu- um, questions and comments and we'll get right into it. So let's start off with a starter a question. We've had quite a few reports about fentanyl and heroin, cocaine, and ketamine. Um, Cocaine with significant amounts of lidocaine and also MDMA with 25C, NBOME, and 4FA. So I put it to all of our our amazing panelists here today, how have these recent drug alerts made you feel?
4: Uh, Yeah, definitely uh, cautious and uh, a little little worried, um, especially at the current time, if we start opening up and, and people are gonna start potentially using more, um, yeah, it's definitely a worry when I see it.
1: Yeah. I guess, yeah, concern um, firstly um, from us, you know, we would have been potentially looking into some of the the cases that have led to the alert um, and so just concern that we uh, might see more of it um, but also glad, you know, that we're able to put that information out there.
0: Yeah, I'd echo the, echo the others. I. I have real mixed emotions about it. I have concern about the content of the alerts that we're seeing these, uh, you know, adulteration, these higher potency substances being sold, mixed in with other things. I also feel really excited that we're releasing these alerts um, and huge credit to NUA and to New South Wales Health. I mean, um, giving people this information helps with informed choices and it's, it's all around a public health response. I think that's fantastic and um, I guess also excited because hopefully with these alerts, we can make an argument um, that people need this information, that things like drug checking are really important for people moving forward and also that we... I'm a researcher so from a research standpoint that we can do things to help these drug alerts reach more people and be effective as well
2: absolutely like I completely hear you guys on like the concern particularly with everything opening up soon I know that we're looking at potentially a December 1st for sort of events coming back into our lives again and but having this information as much as it is concerning seeing what's out there having that information is empowering people to be able to know what's going on, knowing the signs and symptoms. It's the sort of information that I wish had been around when I was in my earlier days, when I was going out to all the raves and clubs and stuff. So it's, it's still a positive step forward, but we're certainly not through, I guess, the dark woods that can be trying to ensure that everyone who does choose to take drugs, um, is doing it in the safest way possible with as much information to remain as informed. So, Going into it, I guess, about um, where we were before and where we are now. Amy, as a senior researcher, you wrote in May 2020 about some of the anticipated consequences COVID could have on illicit drugs in Australia, ranging from reduced importation and subsequent um, supply of MDMA, heroin, cocaine, and methamphetamine. So what have you seen and found in your research about COVID's impact on people's ability to access drugs and the quality or the um, adulteration of those substances?
0: Yeah, thanks Erica. That paper back in May was like a crystal ball, gaze. like this pandemic's coming. What's going to happen? What do we know from history might inform what we see in the coming months? Um, and as you said, yeah, we predicted that there would be huge disruptions in supply. And really, we weren't sure what would happen. It all really came down to what demand was going to be like, um, the length of the restrictions as well. Um, and the impact in terms of uh, travel internationally as well. Because a lot of the drugs, because Australia is so remote, um, there is that challenge getting drugs into Australia. Um, What we saw, so in terms of the data sources I'm talking about, we talk with 800 people who regularly use drugs like ecstasy, cocaine, methamphetamine each year. We talk with 900 people who regularly inject drugs each year. And we also have the adult study you mentioned where we talk to people regularly throughout the pandemic to an online survey. I think the main thing we saw was a big shift for heroin and methamphetamine. So um, early after the restrictions last year, um, there was a bit of a delay, which suggested maybe there was some stockpiling. But then we saw um, the availability of those drugs really drop away, and the purity, reported purity from um, people we spoke to drop away as well. Um, like well, it seems like towards the end of last year that. Uh, disruption started to recover Um, but I guess we're still trying to figure out what's going on this year and um, we're looking at the data around that but it's such a diverse picture I mean we've seen various restrictions imposed across the the different jurisdictions so um, it's a bit of a tricky picture to pull apart In terms of the other drugs, so things like uh, MDMA, cocaine, LSD, we saw a disruption to those drugs as well, not to the same extent, but people were saying um, that it was more difficult to get hold of them. Um, In the case of MDMA, we heard reports that the purity had declined. Similarly, um, we're hearing that that has recovered somewhat. Um, But again, it's really hard to know what's happening in 2021. as I said, variation across the jurisdictions. I think what's going to happen in the coming months, we're still figuring out what the pathway is going to be out of this pandemic, if we can even say out of the pandemic. Um, And also, it's not just about what's happening in Australia, it's about what's happening in the countries that normally supply to Australia as well. Um, So, yeah, heroin and methamphetamine quite disrupted. Cocaine, MDMA disrupted. Both of those seem to have recovered cannabis seemed to tick along quite okay but i guess there's a quite a high level of local production here um and then i guess pulling that all together we could think by saying that everything's recovered that it's all looking kind of hunky-dory now we're back to normal it's back to pre covid levels i guess there's two kind of key things i would point out that make me think we need to be really cautious around saying that um, one is that we're starting to hear evidence that prices are going up. So while people might be saying availability availability impurity isn't too bad, we're starting to hear that prices might be going up. Um, and the second one is these contents of the drug alerts suggesting that, um, that some of the drugs we're seeing are being adulterated with benzos, with opioids and so on. So those two things make me think, maybe we're not back to the status quo of what we, where we were before the pandemic
2: that's really really interesting and it's it's strange to hear that like only particular markets were more impacted than others like heroin um to my understanding is predominantly produced overseas and is uh, brought into the country but methamphetamine was is a drug that is i would have anticipated would be more um manufactured on um, inside Australia. So I wasn't really expecting to hear that that drug was to be as impacted is, do you think there's, what do you think the reason behind that might be?
0: Yeah, it's really hard to tease it all apart. And there is so many differences by jurisdictions as well. So looking at the wastewater data, for example, particularly in WA, I think it was the metham, methamphetamine market was really shaken up there by the pandemic and the restrictions and is slowly recovering. Um, So I think evolution of time, um, being able to pull these data sources together and see um, looking across the trends in terms of use markets. And then I guess the other thing as well, the outcomes that people are experiencing. So with um, these changes in markets, are we seeing people reducing their use and in turn seeing um, lower rates of overdose? That's another question that we need to answer.
2: Absolutely. We've just had a question come in through the audience, which is, um, have state border restrictions had any effect on supply in Australia? So the state between different states?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, It's a difficult one to try and answer with the data that we have. And we normally see quite different patterns of substance use across the different jurisdictions. Um, So, for example, you know, in Tassie and in the NT, it's very rare to hear about reports of heroin, for example. But in saying that, we've seen some really striking changes in those jurisdictions as well. And it's hard to disentangle what happened because of COVID and what was going to happen anyway. So, for example, cocaine or use of cocaine has really increased in in some of the smaller populous jurisdictions where you didn't really hear about cocaine before. Um, as someone who lived in Tassie for many years, if you heard someone talking about cocaine, you asked them when they had their last trip to Melbourne. Um, it just wasn't a thing that happened. And now it's really quite commonplace for people to talk about using cocaine. So how much this has come down to COVID, state, restrict, state and um, territory restrictions, how much it's a trend that was already happening. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one to, to, to tease apart.
2: Well, that leads into um, our next question that we had for you, which was, how has COVID impacted people's drug um, drugs that they choose to use and their use in general?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, overall, we saw, I don't want to generalise, overall, we saw people talk about reducing their use. Um, and there were a few different reasons and it varied by drug as well. Like you were saying before, it's interesting to see those differences. So drugs like MDMA, cocaine, LSD, and so on. Um, when we talked to people middle of last year, they said for the most part that their use had reduced, um, and that was because they weren't out and about socializing as much, which is pretty logical. Um, and the data seems to suggest that post those lifting of restrictions, there was some recovery in use um when you talk more about drugs like heroin and methamphetamine so drugs that potentially have a higher dependence risk again we saw people talk about a reduction in use but it was for completely different reasons and it was to do with those market factors that they were less available they were more costly less pure and so that was driving a reduction in use and again we're starting to see a bit of resumption in use um cannabis kept going strong if not stronger for the most part Um, but as I said, that's a bit of a generalization, (laughs) you know, different people had different patterns of use, just like pre COVID as well. Um, so some people we talked to stopped using completely. Some people said that they use certain drugs more because of mental health reasons, but on the flip side, other people said that they use certain drugs less because of the anxiety and, um, stress around the pandemic. So. I think one, I guess my take home message from all of this is if if people are listening and their experience is different to what we're talking about now, that's okay. Um, I think everyone's doing the best that they can to get through this pandemic and to get to the end and to be able to see friends and family and whatnot. Um, I mean, if you're experiencing problems related to your substance use, um, Dancewise and Nua have great resources that can help you out, but um, yeah, stress if your experience is a bit different to the person next to
2: you absolutely because every every single person who does choose to use drugs is completely different and what you're getting the really um exciting thing to do is to look at it at such a large scale to see if there are trends and i'm really interested to hear particularly like um as the research slowly comes out what would be the impact of wave one to wave two hopefully not a wave three um Fingers massively crossed, particularly for all, anyone who's watching it from Melbourne. Uh, my heart in Sydney right now is going out to you with how many times you've been in lockdown. I am going to move it on to another question that we got from the audience before, which was How has the cannabis black market and pharmaceutical market been impacted by COVID?
0: Yeah, so cannabis has sat pretty steady. We, I mean, obviously, some people do report difficulties in getting access to cannabis, but for the most part, it's that pretty steady because it's typically produced within Australia. With the pharmaceuticals, so in terms of the opioids, we've seen a longer term trend in terms of people using, um, a declining number of people using pharmaceutical opioids uh, not prescribed to them. Um, in terms of the pharmaceuticals, I wouldn't be so concerned about the opioids. It's probably more the benzodiazepines I think are really, causing some strife at the moment. The whole selling benzodiazepines is one thing, but turning out to be another and sometimes turning out to be something that people really didn't expect and having quite strong effects. We know that that's causing a lot of uh, adverse health effects um, and health service utilisation at this time. Um, And I know we're going to come back to this, but again, if people are hearing or thinking about using the benzodiazepines um, I'd really recommend checking out the resources that Dancewise have available for people for some great tips because what you think it might be, it might not turn out to be. And many of these products are packaged, are presented to look like your standard pharmaceutical product.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And if any of you are struggling, as Amy said, feel free to call Nua's Peerline. every single Monday to Friday, we'll put the details up in the chat, or you can also message um, DanceWise or Newer through our social media, through Instagram, through Facebook, and we'll get someone to respond back to you as soon as possible. Um, Just so, because I know that we've only got so much time tonight, um, I'm gonna move on to Robbie. Um, I'm sure lots of people tuning in are really interested to hear where we get our information from for drug alerts. We've been putting out a few recently, as we spoke about at the start of the stream. So this isn't something that's um, always been around. It certainly wasn't around back when I was 18 and 19, as I said earlier. So when and why did the Ministry of Health start releasing drug alerts to the public?
1: Thanks, Erica. Um, so I, we re- started um, in 2019, um, releasing these drug alerts. And I guess, um, you know, a lot of it is really about capability and capacity growth um, across the system to be able to do it at all in the first place, um, so that's been really important. Um, there were obviously there was um, the uh, the series of deaths at, at music festivals during the 2018 um, nine season, which did definitely help catalyse some of this work into action. Um, but I guess not only that, also some other kind of isolated incidents. Um, that were happening kind of before then and and shortly afterwards that really helped develop some of the partnerships in the system that needed to make this happen. So at the ministry where I work, um, the Ministry of Health, um, we've now established some really strong connections with um, the Poison's Information Centre and with New South Wales Health Pathology and some of the kind of clinicians working in the you know, acute care settings in emergency departments and whatnot. And that kind of connection and those partnerships, I guess, have really been important for us to to put out these alerts. And so I think it's it's something that's been building over time. Um, and um, yeah, we're now at now at the kind of levels of capacity and capabilities to be able to do this across the system.
2: So that's really interesting. So the information is coming from a variety of different people. So it's coming from the, so the toxicology. Where, where else is it that you're getting this information from?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, so our, our team at the Center for Alcohol and Other Drugs looks at a whole range of notifications from clinicians, data sources. Um, so um, uh, one probably really key Thing to highlight is our partnerships with New South Wales Health Pathology. Um, so there's a, a set of labs within New South Wales Health Pathology um, called FAS, and and they really have the best uh, capabilities across New South Wales in terms of um, testing drugs. Um, so you know they have um, they, they have the ability to test for hundreds of different kinds of drugs um, through mass spectrometry equipment. Um, and not only to to kind of find them but also to quantify the drug so if it's say a powder or something we can they can look at purity um and if it's um, say detections in blood they can look at the level of the drug in blood and that's really important to be able to understand the the the, uh, the source of the toxicity and then talking about adulterants you know that's really important being able to look at those powders and what in terms of what is in them but also the purity levels and you know some of our early drug alerts around um, high and variable dose MDMA um, because we were able to look at the purity where you can kind of see tenfold differences in in some of the caps or tablets that were around at the time Um, so the the kind of the information that goes into the pathology world um, you know that can come from a lot of different ways uh, come in there a lot of different ways so it might be um, a drug-related death um, that is going through the coronial process um, and so um, we can kind of look at the toxicology information on, on those people also it might be someone who's really sick um, and has been in the intensive care unit also might be drug seizures by police um, and our work doesn't um, create more of that or anything. This is just usual um, business for police, usual usual seizures. So I guess then where our team comes in is being able to navigate all of that information, all that data. Um, and we also are looking at emergency department information call center data. And, and our team, I guess, has that role of translating that uh, data and notifications into kind of tangible information that's um relevant to public health um, and to clinicians and to people people who use drugs
2: Um, so i guess um at what point does um the information that you get warrant an alert because obviously there are people who uh, go to hospital after consuming drugs Um, it could be because they've experienced emotional distress. Um, they might be having a mild adverse reaction or something quite serious. At what point does this, um, does this this decision be made to release this information?
1: Yeah, no, it's a really good question. Um, the way our systems were set up really is it's based on expert advice, so our team has some expertise in public health, in um, in poisons, um, and in toxicology, and so we are kind of the first um, step in terms of triaging that information. And then, if we identify something that we think is of an increased risk, and you know, heroin and cocaine is a really good example, um, we then take that to an advisory panel. Um, And so that panel has expertise in in public health, um, in uh, clinical toxicology and emergency medicine, um, and really importantly, um, has community representation. So newer is represented on that panel, um, which is really key. Um, And ultimately that that panel helps us advise um, whether this risk is something over and above, I guess the baseline or what's usually happening Um, And they also advise us on the kind of content and the messaging um, and and what we should be doing. I should say that the the panel, like from our risk assessment, and the panel's advice might not necessarily be limited to drug alerts. You know, there might be some targeted outreach stuff that we might do and those kind of things as well.
2: Well, that's fantastic. I know that we really appreciate having the opportunity to be part of that decision-making process Um, because it's so important that we get that information out to our community it's something that it was only a few days ago that my friends were talking to me about one of the latest alerts and stuff. And they're like, wasn't there one about this recently? I'm like, absolutely. Here's the information Here's where you need to go for further. And obviously people can go to the ministry of Health's website for up-to-date alerts and also look at our Instagram and our Facebook and our website. We post those up the moment we get that information and we're able to release it to the public. Now you mentioned before that there's a mass spectrometer, which um, the, i'm sure we got a question from uh, someone from the public was like can we submit our own drugs to get tested by the ministry of health <laughs> and if not where can we go get them tested
1: um so look um there isn't an avenue for the public to be able to submit drugs to new south wales health for testing um um and i know this is kind of not your question but i i guess just to assure people that we we really do look at a lot of information um in terms of identifying substances that have been involved in a death or um, or someone who's been really sick, and if we do identify that risky substance, we definitely, you know, um, raise it with our advisory panel on, on what to do about it. But yes, maybe Jason might have some other comments on that.
4: Yeah, of course. Um, Like at the moment, it's been a shame. We've only had two pill testing trials, both of them occurring at Grubenamoo in the ACT. Um, It's a shame at the moment with the drug checking models, like having them at festivals is great, but it shouldn't come with the price of a festival ticket. And we should be able to have like clinics eventually uh, where people can hand them in off the street, Um, but we're a long way from that at the moment. Um, But yeah, there are a lot of, a few organizations like Pill Testing Australia and uh, The Loop who are slowly mobilizing and yeah, watch this space. I think it'll be very interesting and hopefully soon we can have that direct testing from the end user.
2: Absolutely, there are also some organizations overseas but it is illegal to obviously send a drug through the mail um, but obviously possession of the drug is also illegal so I will not be condoning or condemning whatever decisions people choose to make. We did get a question from the audience which is, um. How long does the process take from, I guess, when it comes up to the notification to the actual alert?
1: Um, yeah, so it's um, it's really fast, I guess, essentially. So um, we we might get a notification on Monday, and by you know even Tuesday, the the alert might be out in the public. So it can be really, really, really fast. And I think you know part of that risk assessment is how dangerous is this thing that we're talking about? Um, is it something that we've alerted about before? Um, how widespread is it and all those kind of things play into, to how much we push the message out as well. So it's really fast. Um, and there will always be the drug alert posted and, uh, and the, um, and that shared with newer, But you know, if it's really dangerous, we'll do it even faster and push it out through, you know, um, in general media and more locally as much as we can
2: absolutely and particularly if you've got a weekend coming up you definitely want to be getting that information out if it's something like MDMA cocaine or ketamine or to be honest any substance That's um, right. we're going to move on to the next section which I'm going to direct towards Jason one of our team leaders who's been a volunteer with us since 2018 um, we've been hearing a lot about these drug alerts and we're still in lockdown as we are right now but how can the community right now reduce the risk of using drugs in lockdown? And feel free to anyone to chime in for this, even in the comments.
4: Yeah, it is uh, it is a scary time as we are opening up and then use is increasing. Um, I would say that even if you do have a trusted source for drugs, uh, as things are opening up, it would definitely be a good idea to try and test whatever you, you can get your hands on. Um, and yeah, approach new batches with caution because that's really a thing and also keep aware with these alerts, if there's an alert for say a yellow powder with whatever substance doesn't mean that white powders are fine. So yeah, keep in mind that anything could be adulterated and yeah, some people don't even realise the adulteration until they start mixing and have a very terrible outcome and then find that they're, um, yeah, they have much greater potentiation with some of these things. Um, if you are using a At home, I would suggest trying to have a buddy system. Try not to use alone. If you do have housemates and you are able to talk to them, just tell them what you're doing, Uh, or even just have a a message to chat with a friend who knows what you're up to and can check in at times, because that is uh, very scary with people being isolated and and using drugs. Um, I'd also say be aware of your tolerance as well. Um, Some people are using a lot more in lockdown. Some people haven't used it all, Um, and then going back Even using in a new environment as opposed to using at your home, you'll have a certain feel for what the drug does. But as soon as you're at a festival, not only do you have uh, a whole new environment, you're not used to socialising, you've got the heat and the sun and all that sort of thing. And yeah, just be aware of of your tolerance to do the whole start low and go slow. One other thing I may suggest, um, also do wait before redosing. Um, You've got a lot of these uh, sort of synthetic stimulants that find their way into MDMA with residual stimulation of up to 12 hours per dose. So if you redose twice, waiting for it to kick in, you may be up for two days and that's not pleasant and leads to all sorts of other issues as well. So be slow with your dosing, be cautious, test what you can and use a buddy system. Just let people know what you're doing if you can.
2: Absolutely, Jason. Also, you can get um, fentanyl test strips from the newer website. And we have got some links to some vendors of where you can get some reagent tests. One thing that I always like to keep in mind, particularly about dosing and redosing, is if you are using multiple substances at once, some substances um, almost be like this little div- devil on your shoulder going, go on have another one. And this one's also saying, and that can land up compounding quite quickly. And you can forget how long that duration is. So you have to be really aware about how those different substances um, can interact with each other, particularly alcohol and your regular medication. Some people don't think about those as being a poly substance use situation. So make sure Mm -hmm. that you go onto the TRIPSIT chart online to make sure you're really informed about how those different drugs may interact with each other. Cause some things, um, might not lead as like might not be as common to lead to a reaction, but can still do so. While others have quite significant risks of either short term or uh, long term consequences. Um, mm. So we've got a bunch of audience questions also coming through. Um, one of the ones we had submitted er- earlier is why is fentanyl being found in a wide variety of drugs, and is this due to adulteration or cutting or contamination. Why are we seeing so much fentanyl at the moment within the Australian drug supply market? And I open that up to all of our wonderful panelists.
1: Um, Well, I'll I'll chime in. I I guess, you know, one, one answer is that it's whether it's the right answer, I'm not sure. But you know, it's a very potent drug. It's um, easy to, to move in, you know, smaller quantities. and, And it's relatively cheap as i understand it Um, but you know when you're talking about something like heroin with cocaine and and stuff as well i'm not sure whether that argument really necessarily stacks up in terms of some of the stuff that we've seen i suppose it's um it's um um important to note that you know it might not just be cutting or leftover powder stuff it might be entire substitution as well Um, so that's just another thing important to note
4: Yeah, uh, I think uh, members of my community who have uh, experienced adulterated substances are finding that it's at a quantity that it is having a significant psychological effect. So I doubt trace contamination or accidental um, spillage is is really to blame, Um, but yeah, something that is synthetic that doesn't rely on trade routes and um, natural products. It's one chemist with a few precursors could make enough for the entire country. Um, so it's, yeah, pure ease and um, yeah, quick money, I think, unfortunately, at the sake of people's safety.
0: Yeah, I'd reiterate that. And I, it is interesting to wonder what would have happened if the pandemic didn't occur. So, I mean, looking at the situation in the US where it's just a, a terrible and huge loss of life from, from illicitly manufactured fentanyl and fentanyl analogs at the moment and often in substances where people don't expect it, I guess... Um, for all of us on the panel, um, we've all been kind of sitting, waiting to see what would happen to Australia, would it come and to what extent, how pervasive would it be? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So these drug alerts, I mean, it's great to have the information, but it does cause concern that we are potentially seeing uh, intentional inclusion of these substances mixed in or replacing um, what's being sold in Australia and, and if that continues to grow, what position will be in. Um, and it's great to see that the fentanyl test strips are being circulated. I guess one thing to caveat with them is that there is a um, level of accuracy with them. So even if it does say um, that it does or does not contain fentanyl, just to be cautious either way still.
2: Absolutely. We don't have a portable mass spectrometer, although I did hear on a podcast, we could be in a future eventually where we can all be carrying one of those in our pockets, which um, I'm sure would be absolutely fantastic. (coughs) We did actually get a a question from the audience as well, which is, what are the most common cutting agents or adulterants that you see in pills and powder?
1: Um, Yeah, so I guess it depends on the drug that you're talking about um and different um drugs are more commonly adulterated than others so cocaine is one that is much more commonly adulterated in new south wales um so we recently put out the alert about lidocaine so lidocaine itself is quite a common adulterant um, in cocaine but usually at lower levels and it's when it's at those higher levels leading to a higher dose that it's that it's a problem but cocaine um might be also adulterated with procaine or uh, levamisole and that's all pretty well documented in the literature um, not only in australia but but also overseas other things like um 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 you know methamphetamine might not be adulterated that much at all at the moment because there's such a oversupply of it i would say um, so it just really depends on the drug i don't know if amy maybe has some other of knowledge of the of the literature on that
0: I think that's a really good summary Robbie Jason do you have anything
4: um, yeah I'll also chime in and say like also be aware that if something is a crystalline substance like a solid crystal it can still definitely be adulterated with active or inactive uh, substances something that's pure white with no smell can still be adulterated um, you really are blind until you do some sort of testing whether that's in a lab or a reagent Yeah. So you just can't identify by looks alone.
2: Absolutely. Um, We've got one more question left um, that we've got for today, which is, is there anyone leading for the push for pill testing and drug policy reform? And if so, how can we make the most noise as possible?
4: Um, Yeah, as I mentioned before, there's uh, organisations like Pill Testing Australia and The Loop who are working quite hard to to bring this stuff to the the forefront. Um, So yeah, anything you see with them, get involved if you can, um, give them your support, they're doing absolutely great work. Um, And I believe also Dancewise has some wonderful resources and then watch that space as well, because yeah.
2: Oh, we've just received another fantastic question. Fantastic response, um, Jason. I'm just aware that anyone mm-hmm. is watching right now, I'm having to watch two different screens all at once. Um, <laughs> we just got a question saying, um, is there any evidence that the drug alerts um, are effective at changing people's perspective?
1: Amy, to to yeah, I'll leave that one to you to start with. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. So it's really hard to collect data on the effectiveness of drug alerts because you don't know what would have happened if the alert wasn't released in a way. So we have done some work where we have um, done online surveys and posed people the hypothetical scenario of if you were presented with this drug and you'd heard this type of information in a drug alert about it, do you think that you would consume it? So it's all hypothetical, quite different to being in the actual moment and having to make that decision. Um, But for the most part, what we found was that it wasn't so much about the individual detail within the alert itself. It was the fact that the alert was released. So just having that alert out there telling people that there's this dangerous or potentially dangerous substance or carries higher risk, that is incredibly effective. Hypothetically, at this stage, Um, we have been collecting data through our survey research. So I did. It's not released yet. I did have a sneaky little look before. Um, And in our survey research, it turns out that around one in five people that we've talked to nationally Mm -hmm. are aware of a drug alert that has come out in the last Yeah, which is pretty impressive when you think about the fact that so far we've only seen New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland I think it is, really struggle at. So they're pretty powerful things in that they're reaching more broadly across Australia than just those jurisdictions. And as we know, uh, drugs do not stay within their borders. So it could be that what we're seeing happening in New South Wales could happen um, elsewhere. So um, the evidence is still accruing, and most importantly, we're doing some fantastic work with NUA and with New South Wales Health. Um, we've got a survey that we're hoping to start soon asking people what they want from drug alerts. How do they want them communicated? What do they want in the alerts um, to help us uh, strengthen, I guess, the communication of them in future?
2: Absolutely, and I think I love it if um, anyone in the who's watching this stream, if they've got ideas of what they want to hear and see in our drug alerts, we're always open to all ears because we make sh- we do our best to write what we think the community needs, but without hearing from you, it's really hard for us to be able to speak for what is a very large community throughout Australia. Jason, what do you think the impact drug alerts have had on you know our community or drug educations that we've done with our uh, people at music festivals?
4: um yeah the drug alerts themselves are a great conversation starter and it's just the tip of the iceberg for people a lot of people could maybe only name say 10 or 12 drugs off the top of their head but there's an entire alphabet soup of substances out there um so with the chemistry background i still struggle to try and wrap my head around a lot of them um and it's just to get people thinking about their substances and yeah there could be a lot more than what they they even know exists out there um so it really helps as a tool as a educator going out to festivals um to maybe start that as a point of conversation and then go from there and see what else people are lacking in their knowledge
2: absolutely i think there's probably as each drug alert comes out there's now people who are now aware of 4fa and 25c nbome and my dad sent me gave me a call he's like oh i've never heard about that one that wasn't back Mm -hmm. around back in my day i'm like yeah well it wasn't being distributed um back in your day they were only synthesized not that long ago um I think that's all we've got time for, we're almost up on the hour. So I'd like to thank um, everyone that's been here. It's been a wonderful stream and I really appreciate all of our incredible th- uh, panelists giving our time to us. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in, contributing. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it and learned a thing or two. If you did learn something, share it with your community. We are strongest and safest when we share our knowledge around. And if anything that has been raised tonight has been challenging for you, please speak the support you need, reach out to a friend, take some time for self care. Or contact one of the services listed. Um, before we completely wrap up, uh, um, is there anything that each uh, panel member would like to say as a final wrap up message to our community?
1: I'd, I'd just um, really encourage people, if they don't already, to make sure they're following your and DanceWise on social media because that's really the quickest and easiest way for you to find out about our drug alerts. Um, and just to, you know, take in the other information that's on there about how to seek help. Um, in the short term, if you're seeing signs of an overdose or, or, it's, or the, some of the more long-term advice there, like newest peer line. And so just to, to, to have a read of that as well.
0: Um, I guess I'll jump in. Thank you so much to everyone who's listened. And particularly, if there's anyone's listening who's participated in our research, thank you. Without your input, we wouldn't be able to talk about these things. So, um, yeah, thanks to you all and wishing you the best of luck with the rest of lockdown.
1: Hopefully, short
4: lockdown. Yep, (laughs) did I? I remind people of the DanceWise peer line saying you can call directly to talk to people with lived experience. Um, You know, knowledge is power, and the more that we can uh, understand about our, our patterns of usage and substances out there, the safer we can all be together. So, yeah, stay safe, have fun, and big wave out to everyone out there.
2: It won't be long until we're all back out on the dance floor and we can get back to doing what we love to do with the community that we love. Thank you very much. Uh, Go back into your pyjamas. If you weren't already in your order, have a cup of tea and we're looking forward to catching you next time.
3: So that was the conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learnt uh, something new. Please let us know what you thought of it. Let us know um, any yeah, any questions you might have that we might be able to help you with or any comments or any feedback, we're always, always keen to hear from you. Um, you can contact us either by emailing us through our website. We have a contact page on our website. That's au, or you can follow us on Instagram, danceways New South Wales or Facebook, danceways New South Wales. And you can directly message us through both of those social media platforms and we will get back to you Um, And we always have a peer, um, all of our staff are peers. So we always have a peer staff member monitoring those inboxes. So you can also reach out around a peer-specific question you might have or or anything really that you want to ask around drug use, drug combinations, harm reduction advice. Um, We have that set up so that we can offer you one-to-one information and support We do call that our peer line and we do have a phone number you can call as well. um, If you prefer chatting over the phone rather than chatting through social media, our phone number for peer line is 1-800-644-413. But yeah, reach out for whatever reason. Hope you enjoyed this podcast episode and we hope to catch you soon. Oh, and apply to be a volunteer if you want to, if you love music festivals, if you love partying, if you are um, the person in your group that's often looking after others or offering advice or reminding everyone to have water, if you're the rave mom or dad, if you're the trip sitter, um, whatever your your role is in your community um, at music festivals, um, or if you've never had the opportunity to know the skills and tools of how to do that, um, please come and volunteer with us. We'll give you a lot of training as well so that you can um offer harm reduction at music festivals and raves in new south wales with our amazing team all right that's it for today thank you all so much for tuning in bye